Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. There's a lot of old things you can't forecast in this country, the weather, and you just need to take the, the good weather and make plans fairly quickly when it arrives. It's not as if we get June, July and August blazing sunshine. So that's the way we've managed to adapt to all of that. Another thing you can't forecast is what's going to happen in the coming weeks. The echo this morning leads with reopening in doubt. And the more we talk up this doubt, the more we'll make it happen. The postponement, postponements. What kind of an impact would it have on the businesses that are looking forward to uh, opening? You know, your pubs indoors, your restaurants indoors, your gastro pubs indoors and stuff like that. And bizarrely, hotels are allowed to do whatever you know, they want to do indoors with their customers and those that are staying. But yet restaurants can't do a tap indoors. So we need to wait until Thursday of next week uh, before Michal Martin, the government, Neffin and the HSE all make a decision on what will happen the week after. Uh, but it's uh, interesting because the Mirror this morning says it's holy war. Publicans fear new delays and they're getting a that kind of an inclination to believe that there will be a delay because churches have been told don't do any communions, don't do any confirmations, hold off and all of that until September. Quite confusing, isn't it? Pubs are urging an earlier decision uh, because they say they've only got, they only have like three days to open if the government give them the green light next Thursday uh, with regards to July 5th. Uh, but this Delta strain... That's stalling the ball. That's the one that everybody's looking towards because it's a much more virulent uh, and uh, stronger strain of, of COVID for those that haven't been fully vaccinated. But Veradkar is warning of dark clouds on the horizon. Mother of God, you just couldn't make this stuff up. Why doesn't everybody zip their lip and try and accentuate the positive and then make the decision and stand over it rather than this days and days of leaky, leaky stuff. Businesses, as I say, is the story in the examiner this morning, would only get three days to open. Uh, but as we head across uh, this week, um, I'm certainly noticing a lot less optimism of that ever happening. So there is a lot of AstraZeneca knocking around. There's hundreds of thousands of spares, apparently. And I was wondering yesterday, why did they don't start vaccinating younger people, particularly those that will be involved in hospitality, if and when it opens indoors? And apparently they're now saying because of these hundreds of thousands of spares, as, spare Astra, they'll be given to over 18s within weeks in an effort to ward off this Delta variant. Uh, sad news, musical footing. Learned yesterday that Westlife have uh, postponed. Mind you, the Mirror this morning call it axing their Irish gigs. But what can they do? They made a call on it yesterday with regards to their two Croke Park gigs. Sorry, Parky Cueve gigs. What am I talking about? The gigs on Leaside. Uh, that was part of their reunion tour. Uh, they're now putting those gigs back to next year. Uh, it's not as if they won't happen. It's just about the dates. I was mentioning yesterday more jobs on Lee's side. The Echo has the story this morning. These are 500 jobs over the next three years. A company called Accenture, who have a big presence in Ireland. Uh, the majority of the roles will be based here in Cork. So a lot of jobs. And again, you got to wonder, with all of these jobs, and it's a great thing, but many of the workers perhaps will be coming in from elsewhere where are they going to live? Uh, like the Independent this morning says that there is a, a big push on now to free up all of these family homes that elderly people are living in either on their own or as couples that are too big for them. I'd love to speak with older generations on this as to whether or not they feel kind of intimidated by this proposal. Um, mind you, you will get cash money for it and grants will be available to uh, renovate dilapidated houses and there'll be tax incentives and a few bob given to um, the elderly to sell up and move to smaller uh, accommodation to release those big houses 
uh, to families and people who would need all of the rooms as opposed to somebody who's in a big house on their own. Papers also remind us that, and I didn't, I missed this yesterday, I have to say, but it was the uh, 36th anniversary yesterday of the bomb attack on the Air India Flight 182 off the off the coast of Ireland. And uh, that was marked yesterday. 329 people were killed in the worst plane disaster to hit Ireland. And it was marked yesterday, the 36th anniversary of Air India. Oh my God, how time goes so quickly. 19, 1985. And the Examiner this morning uh, talk on their front page about the amount of women who are struggling with drug or alcohol addictions who are afraid to seek any kinds of treatment. Uh, and the main reason is because they fear losing their children if they tell anybody that they're struggling. And that very, very sad and tragic story, that lovely couple, Rebecca Price and Patrick Kiley, uh, who settled their high court action yesterday. Um, and they suffer on a daily basis following uh, the termination of their baby uh, in the womb after he was wrongly diagnosed with a fatal, fetal abnormality. And they say they suffer interminable sadness and grief uh, that their baby was lost and in hindsight there was no reason for it at all um, there are a lot of other stories making the papers with regards to people's lifestyles you know you love those kind of ones that make a lot of the of the of the red tops like for instance if you want to know this is the mirror talking not me how to turn a woman on it has absolutely nothing to do with chocolate it has nothing to do with oysters it has nothing to do with asparagus that are all supposed to be aphrodisiacs. It even has nothing to do with Prosecco. It has more to do with clean sheets and sunshine. So put the bed with the clean sheets in the back garden on a day that the sun shines and your quid's in. Jury, jury's out then on hangover cures. I have loads of texts from people. I was talking about hangover cures the other day as to what's the best. And we're back again to this story with the mirror picking up and saying, forget all of the stuff you said earlier in the week with the guys to hang. The only hangover that re- cure that really works is a full Irish breakfast, but you have to get the time right. <laughs> Oh, the red tops. It has to be at 11 o'clock in the morning, the full Irish. The whole shooting match. So it's more of a brunch full Irish, kind of an early brunch than anything else. That's the way they'll do it. But they also pick up in many of the papers as to the time that you eat. And we all kind of all know that your biggest meal should not be left till late in, in, in the day or at night. Like you should never go to, to bed on an absolutely full stomach. Um, in fact, there are some suggest you should go to bed slightly hungry. But they talk about it in the papers today that the recipe for a long life is eating fruit for lunch, vegetables for dinner, and any snacking should be on cheese before bedtime, which is kind of weird because ain't there a story or maybe an old wives tale that's been knocking around that Cheese gives you nightmares if you eat it at night. I mean, you just can't win. Talking about not being able to win, there's an amazing story in the Times today where two neighbours who share the one tree, this big fir tree, had a big falling out about it because one neighbour loved it and loved the bird song and the fellow next door didn't like it and hated the bird song. So what he did is he took... um, (laughs) He took some kind of an an implement and he sliced... Um, like a tree surgeon, the tree in half. I mean, perfectly in half. Like his side of it has zero leaves or branches and the other side, it's like half a cake. Um, apparently the birds were making an awful lot of mess. I think a lot of the birds were pooing down onto the, t- they were pooing down onto the top of his car. 
So he took a chainsaw to the tree. I wonder if the neighbours are talking. The Neil Prenderville Show. Anyway, lines open at one 850 You can text 0868104106. Now, come back to a lot of the different texts over the past couple of days, particularly with regards to uh, your guys' thoughts on uh, hangover cues. And there was another one that was very interesting that we did. I was talking yesterday morning about the things that people mispronounce. And I have pages more of things that grind people's gears when people mispronounce words. And a lot of them are very cork. They're corkisms. So we'll come back to that. And a huge response also to the amount of people looking for work or can't get work on the one hand and employers looking for staff and not being able to get them on the other hand. Wouldn't it be great to get everybody to team up and sort it out? Because there's a lot of mystery involved in it. Anyway, text 0868104106. Calls on the way. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And you can text 0868104106. Cork City Fire Brigade were run off their feet last night. There were crews from Anglesey Street, Bally Valan, Ballancolleg, there were over 50 different incidents across the city last night. In fact, they posted on Twitter with photographs and amongst them apparently were fires lit at the derelict uh, Sunset Ridge Motel. In fact, the Echo this morning says that the fire service was out from early afternoon uh, right into the early hours of this morning uh, because of the bonfires across the city. Fire services, Gardaí as well. They said there was um, an awful lot of fires on Tuesday in the run-up to bonfire night as well. So we had a couple of days of it um, and... uh, Unfortunately, I think uh, a lot of them were lit by kids and uh, particularly the one I believe that was reported from the Sunset Ridge area. I, I worry about things like Sunset Ridge, like when you think of what happened to, to Vernon Mount. I mean, Vernon Mount's a lot more historically uh, important, I suppose. But nonetheless, when you have derelict buildings, people tend to put them on, set them on fire. And a lot of those involved, apparently, certainly with the Sunset Ridge, were kids. And I was fascinated with an article that made uh, the papers um, over the past couple of days. It was in the Echo, and that was Sally uh, Hanlon, who's the Director of Support After Crime Services of Anglesey Street. And she was talking primarily uh, about children as young as eight or nine uh, getting involved in criminal activity. This comes on the back of the Chief Super Barry McPolan talking about children as, again, as young as eight or nine, drunk in the city and asking the questions about do their parents not know where they are and would their parents ever please cop on? So I was fascinated about that. And Sally joins me by phone. Sally, good morning. Good morning, Neil. You know, in the cases of, of criminal activity amongst children as young as, say, eight or nine, as you talk about damaging people's property, theft, robbery stuff, are there any consequences at all for children of that age with regards to the law? No? Very little. Very little. What can be done with them, Neil? You're not going to put them into a place of detention. Um... What other way? I wouldn't want to see them going into a place of detention. But I would like that if there was kids who are out there doing this, that their parents or guardians are made responsible for the damage they caused. Yeah. And that's financially responsible. Yeah. yeah. To the victims. And, and because this means, this is because you are actually dealing with people who have been victims of serious criminal offences by minors who are coming into you and finding that actually because they're underage they get away with the crime scot-free is it well yes and it's it's i suppose when some when damage is done and are are stuff stolen or whatever that the people when they realize the age of those who are doing it they're 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 astounded they're frustrated they're annoyed because 
they know there's very little that can be done and there's no way of getting them to to compensate or restore the harm they have done. Yeah. I mean, I do know that the juvenile liaison officers work with, with the children. But again, being a mother myself and a grandmother, you look at children of eight or nine, they have no, their mind isn't developed enough to know the impact they're causing. It's a bit of fun. And they, they, they don't know, so therefore there are no consequences. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we had a lady who had... I was going to ask you, what kind of activity are we talking about? Yeah, we're talking about material damage to cars and to houses, breaking windows, destroying, breaking windows and cars, scratching cars deliberately, um, a theft, you know, uh, robbery, you could call it, I suppose, snatching handbags. Or purses, um, so like it, it, it. And the snatching of the handbags and the purses would that be in a city area and suburban areas in in shopping malls and walking down the street kind of stuff? Is it? it? Yes, possibly walking down the streets or walking near their home. But should their parents, know? after they've robbed a handbag or a wallet, should their parents must see them going around with lots of money? Surely. That's the prop. That's the point. But maybe they conceal it from the parents then that they're cute enough to do that. But like any parent should know where their children are, who they're with, and and have a curfew on them and be responsible. You bring them into the world, and it's your the onus is on you to look after all the aspects of their life. But and so they're not criminally responsible until sixteen, is it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. and and up until then. They probably know that really they're not going to get into any trouble, and the chances are their parents don't, by and large, give a damn, right? Well, it does appear to be that way here. Yeah. I mean, I had a lady on the phone the other day, extremely distressed uh, by a six-year-old. Six from six, yeah. Six uh, is it? Ju- six is it? Just a little yeah, bit up from a baby, like yeah, and the foul and filthy language that was put to that woman by a six-year-old. I couldn't repeat it. She was embarrassed repeating it. But this has been an ongoing thing where sewage has been thrown up on her door and all the rest of it. Sewage? Yeah. By a six-year-old? Well, maybe not that six-year-old, but (sighs) a little older. Why are they targeting people like that? Do they call this fun? Well, I think that they think they're playing with the big boys, maybe. You know, they have to see it somewhere. They have to somewhere. I mean, going back some time ago, young youngsters, young boys in particular, were being used to gain entry to a house where there'd be a small window open. And they'd be put into getting to do the burglary with older people. Yeah. And they'd get in and open the door. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard too much of that recently. But it is the damage. So, like, the, the victim is left with the, the consequences of paying to repair. If they're in a council house, the council won't do it. So it comes back to the person who's, who's affected again to, to pick up the pieces. Okay. Yeah, are, are you aware that there seems to be more gangland activity now and you're saying that the younger generation are looking to the older teens um, and, and they want to be like them and they're mimicking yeah. them and copying them. They yeah. see the gang yeah. activity, they see this kind of bravado of the gang and they want part of that, is it? 
all they want to be like those. Yeah, they, they're possibly in, in all of them. I want to be. I want to belong. So, like again, it's who has to be responsible. You have kids. We all have kids. We have to be accountable for like, our kids. Actually. It's kind of difficult so, though to know where they are twenty four seven. You know. I know it is, but if they're very young, Neil, one should know. You know, if they're under 10, 12, even under 14, one should know. And know who they're with. And maybe encourage their friends to come into the house, to their own house, for to get to know them. And you won't be long sussing out then what's happening. So if you want the parents of these terrors to be held accountable, in what way? Is it financially or for them to be before the the courts or, or what? Very few of them before the courts. But, I mean, if a crime is reported, um, maybe there's, I don't know if the guards can do it or not, but even if the parents were to pay back some amount to the the affected person uh, on a weekly basis, it needn't be a lot, it could be what they can afford, but at least the person affected would feel there's a goodwill gesture happening. Mm. Do you do you spend much time in the city, like walking around the city by by day or indeed of of an evening? No, I no. don't need. Is there, is it because is there a particular reason for that? Do you do you feel no, unsafe? No, it's just I finish work and I come home. But to be honest with you, from what I, how I see the city at the moment, it's a little bit frightening. There is so many drunks and druggies hanging around and. You'd be afraid to look left or right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I've heard that from other people too. Yeah. Um, and when when children going now, including my own grandchildren, I'm terrified <laughs> that that they so that they come home safely. So you're dealing with people who are victims of crime these days, more and more victims of crime um, at the hands of those who are too young to prosecute. That's very, very worrying and sad. I have to say. Isn't it? And I think that's what annoys or fascinates, no proper word to put it, astonishes, I suppose, those who are affected. That children of that age would be capable of doing this and getting away with it. You know, like they look back probably to their childhood and if they saw a guard, you know, they'd be terrified. Whereas these don't seem to care. There's no respect. And the chances of them then uh, growing up to commit even further crime is, is fairly high too, isn't it? I would imagine so. I would imagine. If, if they're not taught a lesson of right and wrong, well then sure, you know, if they get away with it on a continual basis, they see nothing wrong with it. Okay. Um, can I remind people if, if they have been victims of crime in the past that your organisation is available for them, support after crime services on Anglesey Street? How can they get in yeah. touch? They can get in touch by uh, emailing us or by phoning at 021-432-0555 or emailing us at info at support after crime services, all one word. Okay. Thanks, Sally. Thanks for taking the call as always. Sally Hanlon, support after crime services on Anglesey Street on 432-0555. Last night was Bonfire Night. Caller says he'd seen young fellas going into the Sunset Ridge the last few weeks, drinking loads of cans. They're using it for drinking parties. It needs to be boarded up. It's terrible for the areas. He can't come on areas afraid his own house will be set on fire uh, next. But it was just one of many, many fires 
uh, across all over the city by and large. I think um, Councillor Ken O'Flynn actually did a drive around last night, joins me by phone. Ken, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How did you have morning? an opportunity to do, I think you did do some kind of a drive around last night? I did. I was calling to people last night because of on constituency work. So I got to see a, quite a bit of the north side. I started in, in Glenville and walked my way into the city from, from about six o'clock last night. Yeah. Um, look, I, I suppose all in all, we had quite a calm night in fairness to our fire services were called out uh, 50 to 70 times. Um, and you could, you consider that quiet, do you? 50 to 70 well, times? Look, there, there wasn't the there wasn't the stories of, of, of firemen being, being pelted with stones and as we've had in previous years. You know, we've had great success actually on, on Bonfire Night in Cork in the recent years because we had City Council organised events. This year we couldn't organise it. This year and last year we couldn't organise events because of lockdown and mass gatherings. I did experience in, in the Glen, in Balavala and in Mayfield um, a lot of gatherings of people. Um, most of them actually quite quite well separated out uh, and people enjoying the bonfire and things like that, you know. Okay. It's not ideal what we want because it's, our, it's parks and it, it damages the environment and it's people, some people were throwing rubbish and I saw Chester drawers go on on, on one bonfire I won't say where but look that, that's the reality of how it is you know um, but there wasn't the sinister uh, you know I, I, I think I've been on your show maybe 10 years ago and talking about gas bottles and, and broken windows and things that have been thrown on bonfires in certain areas of the city but two young girls rang the fire services about well, was, Sunset Ridge is that it? yeah I was heading home actually to my mum and dad's house because I was staying in mum and dad's which is in Cologne and Blarney which is only a mile from the Sunset Ridge and uh I, um, I I passed the fire services, or I, I came upon the fire services, about four fire trucks outside the Sunset Ridge. I parked up to find out what was going on, and um, I got chatting to two young ladies, um, I'd say about 13, maybe to 15. I'm not quite sure their ages. I didn't even take their names, to be honest, you know, Neil. Um, but they were the two girls who had uh, called the fire services and called the guards, actually. And they informed me that there was a group of young people inside in the... Um, Sunset Ridge earlier that day, which confirms what, what some of your callers are saying. I did speak to one or two of the firefighters. They told me, look, there's no electricity inside there. There is no um, connection to gas or anything like that inside in the building. He said, so draw your own conclusions. I suppose the reality is, Neil, that you have a situation where you have that um, building now in a state of dereliction for the past 10 years. Yeah. And we all remember what happened a number of years ago to so John Barleycorn at Labmire about burning down. Yeah, thank you for I reminding me. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have a huge fear that the same thing is going to happen there. Like, there's not a window left in that site. And as I received one email from somebody today in Killeen's, they likened it to the, do you, you remember the show about Chernobyl that was on Netflix, uh, I think last year or the year yeah. before, that the building now looks like that. And it's true. It's very sad. Uh, to is see that building beyond like that. saving now, really, to be honest? It, it is. It has to be knocked to the ground, in, in my opinion. Um, was there any time when it could have been reopened or I, refurbished? I think probably when it first closed down, which is probably about 2009, maybe 2008, um, I, I think there was probably potential for the building to be to be to be saved and to be reopened, yeah, we, we, you know. Personally, I have great happy memories as a child inside that building. Yeah, I gigged say, there a lot actually, you know? way back yeah. in the day. I did an amount of twenty firsts yeah. and weddings yeah. and fortieths and stuff like that. My my mum and dad had their wedding there, and we had a lot of family occasions there over the years. Yeah, it was a good spot. Know, yeah. You know, and I think nearly everybody that's from the North side has great stories about it, and great stories about the Cronin family that ran it. Yeah, it opened in nineteen sixty nine. They were they were. 
they are a beautiful family. They're a lovely, lovely. But family. did they sell it then, and whoever bought it did nothing with her or something like that? Well, I think I think it's now changed hands twice, from what I understand. Now, last year, uh, having met residents in the Killeen's area uh, at a public meeting there, they asked me to write to the uh, dereliction office in Cork City Council. Um, I did, and I asked them to take the to bring the site into the derelict site act. Um, I understand that there was communication between City Council and the present owner. Not long after that, a sign went up saying sale agreed. So we all thought, well, if the building is sold again, um, perhaps something's going to happen with it. We haven't seen any application for planning permission in quite a long time in the area. There's three and a half acres, as I as I understand it. But Neil, you know, I've spoken to you before about this um, off off the air and on the air. There are parts of the land and places in the city and in the county and all over the country where people are sitting on the land increasing the value um, because they mightn't get the density or the, the planning that they want they're saying to hell with it I leave the place to fall down yeah. and I'm not saying that this developer is, is doing that but I'm saying that it, it is happening and it does feel like that to both the residents in Cologne where I'm from and, and the residents in Killings. Yeah. it's very very difficult to pass it every day and to see this you know what was uh, has nostalgia for an awful lot of people being in such a decaying situation there's not a window left in it it's not secure um, I know they're talking about boarding it up. What really needs to happen, it needs to be knocked to the ground. Yeah, or else it's, it's going to be torched. It, it, it will be. It, look, it's a, it, look. There's, there's only there's the bones of it that are left. Um, it's a very dangerous building to enter. I would imagine at this stage, it's not the first fire. It's probably one of the biggest fires that I've seen out of the area, but there's nothing left in that. Uh, and, you know, going back to what Sally was saying there. Yeah, just pick up on that. Have you any opinions on underage crime where they're unprosecutable? Yeah. Well, it, it's funny because I, I think the comments that were uh, picked up from Barry McFarland was due to a question that I asked on Monday at the at the joint policing meeting. Uh, and the concern that I had, and I received videos, and I think I sent them on to your research team as well, of young people in their teens um, going into the city, in particular Grand Parade area, um, organised fights, um, organised, uh, you know, this type of arguing on the street, fighting on the street, drinking on the streets, uh, and very, very young. You're talking, uh, as Sally said, very, very young, but I, what I witnessed myself is, is 13, 14, 15, 16 uh, year olds, you know? And it is about time that we, we tightened up our laws, and it's not the first time people have called. Yeah, but you can't, you, can't, well, you can't be getting, you can't be organising some sort of a residential place well, that's similar to a prison for a, t- a 12 or 13 no, year old. And I, I, don't, I don't agree or, with that. Or, or can you? I mean, years ago, you could give them a kick up the arse or a clip around the ear. You could correct, bring them home correct. to their folks, Look, but now you'd be sued. There's a, total, there's a total lack of respect for your elder. There's a lack of respect for society. I think they told you not so long ago that I, I met with a group uh, in the north side of the city who were telling me that uh, 10 and 12 year olds were causing most of the depredation in the estate on the bequests of uh, a gang who are operating of the 17, 19-year-olds. Yeah, so you're sending the 10-year-old or the 8-year-old up to throw the stone at the window or break the... Break the, the, the something. Well, why the are they doing that? Are they owed money or something? Is it drug-related or gang-related or what? It's gang-related. It's, you know, it's picking on certain individuals. Um, if somebody picks up a phone and rings a guard, or has called the guards to this gang. They're they're targeted. So that's so why I'll get. Afraid. That's why I get people saying, "Don't give up my details. Don't give up yeah. my name." Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're very very afraid. They're intimidated. 
stones being thrown, uh, cars being being uh, scratched, or wing mirrors being taken off, and then you know um, you get the name of being a snitch, uh, and then you're targeted by this gang. Now, quite often this gang is either involved in some sort of drug dealing or something going on in the park that's illegal, antisocial behaviour, breaking into uh, empty houses, whether it's private or, or, or city council properties, and that sort of carry on. Yeah. And people are concerned about, but people are afraid in their own homes. And as Sally was saying, there are kids going to doors and saying, can I use your toilet, please? I'm stuck and things like that. And opening windows for other people to get into houses. Oh, for God's sake. I have, I have come across that. All right. Okay. All right. So look, I, I think, right. as I said to you before, I think we do need to adopt the Icelandic policy, which is curfews after 10 o'clock. You have to, your parent or guardian has to do with children under the age of 18. Uh, what happens to the parent then if the child isn't in by 10? They're they're fined if they're if the child is caught. It's 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 pro, it's processed. Do you think they'd pay those fines? It's actually directly taken the same as the property tax is taken out of your wages or my wages if we don't pay it. It's taken directly out of your salary or out of your social welfare. Okay. Now, having said that, there is a huge investment as well from the Icelandic authorities into clubs and facilities for young people, and that has to be done as well. You know. Listen, let me get some more calls on this, but do stay in touch. Councillor Kenneth Flynn, thank you. Tweet, a tweet in this morning says, Toker was mad last night. Young people taking bins out of gardens, burning them. And would you believe the parents were egging them on? Those parents just don't care. Donald, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? Thanks for holding. Uh, your thoughts on this? Well, Neil, I think we've reached a point in all return, to be honest with you. Um, I think it's gone so far, gone so bad and so far, that uh, it's a bit late in the day to be trying to pull it back, to be honest with you, and I don't think we'll ever pull it back. Um, children are learning from everything they see on TV, everything they see on Facebook, uh, from their, their, their peers, their, their older kids. Uh, the, the older kids are seeing it from their parents, accepting it and watching it on TV and seeing it funny. And uh, I think the children think they're playing when they're doing things like this, you know? Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of the, a lot of this carry on they regard as a prank that they film then and share on social media because they're I don't the think hero. They have any fear, uh, Neil, because they think they're playing a game. Like I, I really do. I, I, I think they don't. Yeah, so you're blaming you're blaming television and social media for the ills of the youth, is it? And the legislators that allowed our country to be now. Now I know the world is like that, and you can't stop technology. But for God's sake, I mean, there has to be limitations on what. Uh, parents can expose their children to. Uh, it's abuse in, in a sense, Neil. If somebody allows their children to watch the degree of violence and destruction and mayhem that they are watching. But they might not have any idea what the kids are watching. So the kids have their own phones now. They have their own laptops. They're in their own bedrooms. Exactly. That's my point. They have no idea. That's my point. That's my point. The children are exposed to it. They're, they're, nobody seems to have taken that uh, very seriously up to now. And, I mean, the children think they're playing. They see it on TV. They'll, they'll mimic what they see on TV. Like, years ago, years ago, communities took a lot more responsibility for carry-on like this. But now you can't intervene or you, exactly. you, you can't exactly. get involved anymore now. And do you know why, Neil? Because the guards are obliged, I suppose, to disclose who the complainant is because the guards themselves aren't out in the community picking up on these things. When do you see the girls, Nick? For God's sake, Neil, the only time you see a girl is when somebody calls them. They should be there before people call them. You shouldn't have to resort. Yeah, but you can't have Gardy just wandering around aimlessly 
hoping that they come across a crime. Like that that's a complete I'm waste of resources. I mean if they're wandering around there won't be crime because people will be more aware that they're likely to be caught. The fact that they won't be caught and the fact that there's no consequence is what allows them to behave the way they're behaving. Yeah. Did Spike make any? Did Spike make any difference to to young offenders? I wonder before they burnt it down. Sorry, Neil. Did Spike so. Island make any difference to those young offenders when they used to incarcerate them? Primarily, I don't, I don't think. So. I don't think so. But what? That's my point exactly, Neil. We're going back much further than that again. Um, the behaviour that behaviour has been happening so long now that it's you know just a. Accepted now by everybody. Really. That, that you would have six-year-olds tormenting an elderly woman, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. calling her all sorts of names on a regular basis, taunting her, tormenting her, harassing her. People aren't shocked by that kind of thing anymore. They really aren't. No, the community won't get together and, and deal with these people, and they shouldn't be expected to. It's just that they should be dealing with it by calling the police, and the police should investigate these things and... And keep annoying these people. I'm not expected to. And what is the guard supposed to do with someone who's underage? It's a complete waste of resources. Well, you have to question why. Why are they behaving the way they're behaving, and what can you do about it? I mean, and it's not just one meal. There's plenty of them in every community. Knows it's gone. The proportions are after getting so big that it. Well, somebody has to like society has to do something about it, or government has to do something about it. The legislators, the legal system. Uh, there seems to be, I don't know, an acceptance of a certain amount of it. So you know people who are victims of crime, who've had their house robbed or their car damaged or their purse or handbag snatched inside in town and they report it and they go to the victim of crimes afterwards for help and they're told, sorry, there's nothing we can do about that because that gurrier's underage. And that's just and the somebody way. somebody else's story next week and some different uh, gurrier doing it. So I don't know. I just I, I just think that we've left to go too far. We we blindly right. let it go on for so many years that I I can't see any return from it. To be honest with you. Okay, back after the break. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. Oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Red FM. Morning, all. Uh, I want to tell you the story uh, after ten uh, with Paddy O'Brien of an elderly uh, person who an elderly widow who was broken into uh, widower who was broken into while he slept. I think uh, the the dog actually uh, woke him. It's a very disturbing story, and I'll have more on that uh, after 10 this morning. Text 0868104106. Oh, can I just mention as well, I went to Carewswood Garden Centre yesterday, just drove down there because I wanted to have a look around and see what it's like. It's, it really is absolutely fabulous. They have just an incredible layout in the most beautiful walled garden areas I've seen in, in years. It was a big old house at all of these wonderful, wonderful gardens and very old walls, very high um, a gorgeous brickwork and inside it then of course you get the plants and the shrubs and you've got uh, all beautifully laid out and there's potting plants there and there's a gorgeous cafe there and they've got all of their barbecues and all the accessories for the home and garden so it's beautifully done and well worth the visit loads of parking there as well I bumped into Trish Mary and Teresa while I was down there and they had just had lunch and loved the food in the cafe there and it's a big picnic area where you can just sit out and people were sitting out and, and chatting having some fun and the kids were playing and everything it was lovely so good morning to Trish to Mary and Teresa it's day four of our giveaway with uh, Carewswood Garden Centre and Cafe in Castle Martyr um, and it's your opportunity to win a super deluxe Weber Genesis gas grill barbecue. We also have those 50 euro vouchers to give away every day. So today, Thursday, another opportunity to get into the final tomorrow and win this 1500 euro barbecue. I saw it down there yesterday. It's an incredible
incredible piece of kit. I mean, it's amazing how barbecues have evolved now to these um, these pieces of equipment that have Bluetooth and Wi-Fi attached to them. <laughs> barbecues now, you can control the temperature <laughs> of the barbecue by mobile phone. I mean, it's just incredible. They're like... Seriously, pieces of furniture. They're gorgeous. Uh, So this is the top of the tree, the Super Deluxe Weber Genesis Gas Grill. So today I have three pieces of audio for you. So we'd call these um, three sounds from the garden, if you like. You need to identify all three. I'll play them a few times between now and midday. So identify all of three these three sounds. Uh, you'll win a 50 euro voucher and go into tomorrow's draw for the barbecue itself. So don't call just yet. I'll play them a few times. Here they are. Three different distinct sounds. You notice that? They're all overlapping. All right, They're all going on at the same time. You've got the knocking noise, some kind of a motor and... The third sound. There's also some ambient bird cheeping. Um, but I'm not looking for that part of it. It's the other three sounds. Have a listen. It's easy for me, seeing as I know the answers. But another few spins between now uh, and uh, midday today, and we'll open the phone lines. I got, a, I got a, a shout out on my Instagram page yesterday, and I was asked, would you ever please give a big shout out to the fact that today, thir- uh, the Thursday, the 24th of June, which is today, is Rare Chromo Disorder Day. Uh, and more than one in 200 babies are born with the rare chromosome or gene disorder. And this is their day today. And they got in touch with me to say, please give a shout out because it means an awful lot to the many rare families in Cork. Thursday, Rare Chromo Awareness Day. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851 Red FM. Lots of texts over the past few days. Many people talking about employment or trying to get work or people who won't come off the pup. And then we had this business of free trials. Coming in for a free trial. See if you like it. Tell people to stay away from these so-called f- trials where you work for free. There's a hotel in Cork that brought me in on a trial a year back. Despite me having 10 years experience, I did it once, won't do it again. I got the job but left because the pay was absolutely terrible. Pay the people. Uh, Hi, my son had an interview for bar work and glass collecting. The person interviewing him asked nothing about him but told him to come in for on a Sunday for a trial. I'm wondering if this is another case of free labour for the night because the employer didn't even ask him for a PPS number, says Pauline. Morning, there was a restaurant that thankfully is now closed down, but the owner's chef was known for bringing people in for trials, unpaid. Uh, but making them work double shifts like a 12-hour day, only to tell them they weren't suitable, weren't good enough. He only brought them in as he was short-staffed on various nights, had no intention of hiring them. It was oh so cruel. Uh, Said restaurant also paid underage workers pennies, and they stole tips from employees. Well, it sounds as if they got an awful lot of bad karma going on there that eventually came down. And they pay the ultimate price because of it. You know what you put out, you get back in it. So, uh, talking about putting out, Aldi are putting out from 9 o'clock this morning in Douglas. And best of luck to everybody. Aldi opened at 9 a.m. The breakfast crew were down there this morning. The big red bus was there. The patrollers are there. They could still be there. So, a big day of celebration in Douglas Village this morning. Congratulations to everybody, particularly all those who got a job. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from 7 for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best, and newest names in Irish music. Get it off your chest. Call-
Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Do not give out my details, and I'd be too terrified to come on air, but you need to mention this. Uh, please ask Neil to mention the, as we call it, the antisocial behaviour happening in Balafihan Park, as the residents in the area are constantly having trouble during the summer season. After the park is locked at night, you see, they climb the railings and are drinking there until all hours. Not not last night, surprisingly enough, but Tuesday night, they set fire to the bandstand again and also the footpath near one of the park benches. I did ring Toka Garda Station at 2 o'clock in the morning. They didn't manage to get there until a quarter to three. Last summer, these thugs ran through our estate, breaking bottles at all hours of the morning, fighting, throwing punches at each other. We've elderly neighbours in Friary Gardens too that are frightened of this ongoing behaviour. They drink over the park and leave their cans and bottles behind them and all down the laneway between the park. And we're sick to death of it. Tuesday night was like a rave in the park. I'll send you a video now. I took out my window at two o'clock and it took three quarters of an hour for the guards to arrive. They moved them on at 4am. The music started again. Absolutely disgraceful. And this person who doesn't want to be named for fear of retribution or repercussions uh, did send me on the video and it's clearly evident to me what's going on inside in that park. What are you going to do? I mentioned before 10 actually a story that Paddy O'Brien had uh, of um, uh, a re- recently an elderly widower, I believe, uh, who was broken into while he, while he slept and, and Paddy joins me by phone. Paddy, good morning. Good morning, mate. This is an elderly yes, gentleman living alone, is it? He was a 70-year-old man, that's right, uh, living alone in, in, in Carmen Way, and um, was in bed, he had his dog, heard his dog barking, and went off downstairs, and he saw one guy in his kitchen, and another guy coming in through the window. They were armed with uh, one, they had a hammer, and they had two drivers, and they're frightened. Now, they didn't, I have to say this, they didn't touch him. They're scared, they're looking for money, 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 and he's able to speak up for himself, and off they went doing, after doing awful damage to, uh, to the window but to the they damage, asked him they, 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 they were shouting at him give us your money is it? With money money exactly yes but um, and he refused uh, is it? he could have got a smack of a hammer by refusing well, he, he could have yeah and the thing was this the thing was this the fact he was downstairs I think myself is that he said the light that was on in the kitchen that neighbours would see the light on which would be unusual hour of the morning and it, what happened was that um uh, there was no damage done, but there was damage done to him. I mean, he's a different man since that has happened. And do you there. think that these characters know that there's a person living alone? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're not going to break into a house or there's a, a couple of six foot tall young chaps in there who, could, who can defend themselves. And uh, John uh, is aware of the fact that uh, he said, I spoke to him the following morning, I had to visit him the following morning. And he said, the dog saved my life because what he said was, as I'm quoting him here, God only knows what would have happened to me if they came upstairs. They would beat me and beat me and beat me like that money. I know. And that, has, to, that's and, and, and that has happened. We have seen that in court reports as well in the past. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's often, like, in the same context, elderly are living in fear today, progressively. They're living in fear today. I mean, they go to bed at night and they're making sure the windows are locked. And it's an awful situation for elderly people, especially for those now um, living, living alone. And many of the people who are housebound, all of the elderly who are housebound, that was one of the problems. But so he's left now with the worry and and uh, the the stress of this happening again. I mean, he probably won't have a sleep, he won't have a, he won't have a good night's sleep for a while, I'd say. 
Well, t- thankfully, I got caught here from him, is that um, he had a, an alarm fitted, and we'll, we'll explain that later on, and he said to me, I had my first night sleep last night. Yeah. I can yeah. relax. And he said, we had the alarm fitted, but the alarm fitted, he said, I feel now there was somebody in the house with me. And I'll just make a point about alarms as well. It's very important. I, I'd say that most people do not have an alarm fitted till such time they have an experience of a break-in. Yeah, I know, I know. And I had many, many years ago, and you had a speaker early this morning speaking about young people breaking in windows. I was downstairs toward in my house, a, a, a window 20 inch by 20 inches, and, and they're broken there. And, uh, you know, that people, I, I think everybody should go and get an alarm. And were you, when the, were you robbed then, Paddy, or...? Yeah, I was, and the frightening thing about it was just after Christmas, and I came home, my late wife, my two sons, and I saw the window opened, and I saw the door, I went in, I was sitting in the dining room, and I went into the sitting room, and I have a coffee table there, and I saw a hatchet. <sighs> a hatchet they picked up, coming through from the downstairs toilet, into my garage, picked up the hatchet to defend themselves, in case anyone approached. Good God. Now, I must say that, Thankfully, thank God, they didn't do any. Um, there was no one in the house. house. Yeah, they no stole one. a bit of money, not much, not much. But I always remember that what I did to my wife, my late wife Pat, she was afraid to go off to Ballarat on her own. She was afraid. Yeah. I just yeah. to go with her, something never did before. Yeah. She was afraid to go to town. Something came off, she thought she was just being watched. Yeah. I'm going back now to uh, 19, and I can the. 1990 She probably didn't even home. feel safe in her own home. Well, that's it. But if, and if, I mean, in that situation is true about the whole city, the whole county, the people. And I know that years ago you had a break in and you would say, such a house, such a house. Oh, yeah, I know that house is isolated out in the country. The house I'm referring to now, John's house and Infernary, let me detach those. Houses both to his left, to his right. Yeah. And houses opposite, well, 30 feet away from them. I don't want to be frightening people, people, but they possibly are targeting individuals in that regard. And if oh, yeah, was, and that's for definite. Yeah. That is for definite. This, this, uh, this land would be well known, um, would be well known. But he said, and he's, he, he's, he's thanking the Lord that he did come downstairs. The dog saved him because he felt if they came upstairs, I wonder, should you leave them at it downstairs and just not go down for fear of getting attacked, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't know, I don't know. But quite honestly, he told me this, that he didn't think that was the last thing in his mind, the robbery. He went out so was off the dog. Yeah, what's going on, yeah, to investigate. Yeah, exactly, now, exactly. what's incredible about this is that um, he got an alarm fitted by uh, Highland Security, wasn't it? Well, very good thing. Thanks to Dale Prenderville and Red FM some years ago. You made the rent, you organised that for me down through the years. Yeah. And down through the years since then. Now, these are other specific cases that when I come across a family and I can vet them that they're, they're in what I would test as needy, I would contact Tony Highland. They're under the law road, the yeah. Highland Security Services. Yeah. I did the same this time. And he came to that house and his engineers fitted a most modern alarm system. And that's why I said at the beginning there, this man says, I know feel if someone living with me in the house, he feels there's a sense that he's not alone 
and nothing, there's nothing going to happen that would be alarmed. And people must, must, must look at their own home situation and say, yeah, I need alarm, I should get alarm, you must, you must get alarm. But uh, Tony Highland has been exceptionally generous and they want to use this. When you say, what, what, what do you mean generous? Did he fit it for free? He fit it free. And this is not the first Just one. Like he, he, he must have done a dozen of those jobs now for me. In the past, he and he's still do, so they're still they're still fitting they're still fitting alarm systems for the elderly for free in the background. Oh, free, and it was, there was, I remember being on a program with you. It must be five or six years ago, and I was hiding a specific case, and you come back to me and said that Tony Highland had contacted you, yeah. and since then he has been fitting alar- alarms. So they've just been quietly again. fitting alarm systems free of charge for the elderly. Isn't that astonishing? Free of charge. and he's an never incredible guy. I can say this to you. They've actually, I've actually never met Tony. I've never met him. I speak to a secretary on the phone, Una, and the other lady there. They're very efficient and they're situated down past the railway station. That's right, on the left-hand, on side. The left-hand side. But, yeah. but, but, the thing is this, this is the good news. That I was with his secretary owner, and from now on, I am getting one alarm system free of charge every month. <laughs> and there's no charge whatsoever. And that's going to mean so much. So I'd be responsible for vetting, for vetting the person, make sure the person is. Um, that's amazing. Genuine and, uh, what and an incredible yeah. core company to be doing that. Well done to uh, all yeah, concerned. Fan, fan, fantastic, fantastic, okay. fantastic. Can, and I just think it was great. And they say, oh, I'm saying to people, like, they their own contact with Tony and yes, O two one four three six three nine eight nine on the low road. At no fault when he would fit in, he would just say yes. The girls would contact me. Oh that that was fished up now last week. No no more talk. No more talk whatsoever. And they said um, well, I would encourage people today. if they are looking for assistance for for themselves to be supporting Cork businesses like Highland Security. Well done to Tony. Just before I let you go, I know Emer was in touch with you because we were contacted by uh, a seventy-two-year-old woman recently. This program off air. She was very, very depressed, and and she wasn't eating. She was in a very bad place. Um, I, I I did hear you chatting with Emer about that. Have you any any news on that misfortunate woman? Well, I, I have really because you you write what you said. I mean, she was very very down. I ran right that conversation with her, but um, <clears throat> I'm no medical man or anything. But I, as a lay person, I said to myself, "Paddy, this lady is very depressed." Now, this was early last week. She was very 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 down herself. I said, "Are you eating?" She said, "No." I'm doing this. No. I said, "The worst place you can stay when you're not feeling great is bed." Try and get out of bed, go for a bit of a walk. Just talking. Her doctor was on holidays. Her medication. And um, was not feeling great. And I asked her again, I don't, oh, what's the eating situation? She says, I don't eat anything. I haven't eaten for, for three days. She's just in the so, bed, I mean, no food, nothing, yeah, just yeah, lying yeah, there. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So then I made contact with a friend of mine in, um, in, in Richardstown. And then yesterday morning, I decided to ring the lady myself. And when she said good morning, I knew I was speaking to a different person. Amazing. Like, totally different person. And why was she so down? Was it COVID related or isolation yeah, or loneliness? I, I, or? I think so and I think she, down through the years she had a little, what I call a little problem a little a, a little depressing problem and it came out, well what she was bad and you were eating, <coughs> oh, eating but she was going for a little walk and I said what, I think she appreciated the fact that um, Emer had a good chat with her yeah. number one and she showed that someone cared. Yeah. Because when you're feeling when you're feeling down Sad, depressed, 
and loved me. Yeah. One, one thing comes into your mind, nobody loves you. Yeah. Nobody cares me. But she saw that he went to the trouble of contacting me. I rang her, I had a good chat with her. You would have contact up in the Mitchellstown area that visited her. Yeah, always contact yeah. up there, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Good I stuff. Her, I'm glad. Like, oh, do you, know, do you know who helped me as well? It was um, And it was on to her, the, whole, uh, the rancher's daughter. The rancher's daughter. Well, what a great family well, yeah. they are. We know the rancher's yeah, daughter. They're a great, great yeah. family. And she, one of those girls who I could call to see her as well. And uh, I told the lady myself that I was passing from Witchestown someday over the next few weeks. I'd take her over a cup of tea, a cup of coffee and something. And she was 12. But her voice, she was just a totally different you person. You could notice that you, you saw the and change. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I was thrilled. Great stuff. Great I was stuff. absolutely thrilled to... Um, it's made a huge difference. It's made a huge difference. You're one in a million. You're a diamond. Thanks, Paddy. Stay in touch. Appreciate it. Much Thank obliged as always. Advocate for the elderly, the great Paddy O'Brien. And again, thank you to Tony Highland at Highland Security. Uh, lines open one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Texts on the way. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And by text on the subject of the pop payment, my boss also claimed the wage subsidy for the first six months of lockdown in 2020. I was working my regular week of 36 hours, but I was coming out with less pay than I usually would. I wasn't paying tax because of the scheme, but now I have a massive tax bill that I cannot afford to repay. In my workplace, we were doing the regular workload with reduced staff covering extra jobs, so the owner wasn't down any money. He was up money, if anything. In my eyes, it should be my employer who pays the tax bill as I wasn't any better off and he was the one claiming all of the supplements and the uh, extra to help pay my wages. Uh, morning, presently there are two family members not living or working in Ireland and who are both receiving the pop payment from day one. They left Ireland more than five years ago going to foreign lands where the majority of young people go and it's not Europe. Uh, well, this is the talk at present. Uh, don't give up my details. Keep safe. This is regards to people who are claiming pop that aren't even in the country. And then when you get grief, you know, somebody got grief because they cancelled the booking at a restaurant. Really bad, bad abuse. We went to a bar recently. We had it booked and like the other lady on the air, um, was after sharing the menu in our group in advance. We all decided what we wanted to get to eat due to time restrictions so that we could order straight away. When we got there, we had to scan a code on the table which brought us to the menu online where we ordered our food from there. The menu was more limited and wasn't the same as what was being shown on the website. When I queried it with the waiter, he said that they couldn't facilitate the previous menu with the outdoor eating restrictions, which I thought was strange. But we just ordered something else. While it was fine and the food was lovely, it was annoying that they didn't have the correct menu on their website. I just wanted to share the experience. It's similar to that other lady's. Uh, The food was lovely and the staff were friendly. I don't know how they run things in the city. But I've been at Hurley's and Balance Spittle since 1995 and if I tried to charge my customer 15 euro just to book a table, I wouldn't have any left. Tell your listeners that they're more than welcome to call and book any time for free, says Lester and the Hurley's team. And there was a lot of that actually with regards to restaurants that are bo- charging a booking fee for the table, which isn't refundable nor deductible from, say, for instance, the uh, from, from the bill. And I saw a lot of that come in particularly with regards to a secret garden. So we'll come back to that. I worked in retail for 20 years. The hours were long, wages aren't great. And I missed out on family life, working weekends and Christmas. I definitely didn't get it paid enough to deal with the general public's verbal and physical abuse of me. You were physically abused. So 
So I left retail to work in the medical device industry. I now do a week's work in four days. I have three days off every week. I'm off weekends and Christmas. I worked overtime to beat the band and the money I'm on is almost double what I was in on in retail. Mostly, I feel happier and respected for what I do. I would never go back to retail again. Uh, I was out Monday night. It was uh, my first evening out. Anyway, I went to a few places, but one place I went to, I went up to see if we could go in. I was in shorts. It was four o'clock in the afternoon and roasting hot. My friend was in jeans. He said, sorry, no table is booked, which isn't true as it was outdoor seating walk-ins. Anyway, we stood for a few minutes wondering where we would go next. Two girls walked up and said, any seating? I pretended I wasn't listening. They got two seats straight away. We saw those seats were empty. So I said, why didn't you leave us in? And he just smirked and laughed and said, we're full. Total joke. It was clearly because I was in shorts or something like that, but I felt totally discriminated against. So lots of texts like that and many more besides, which we'll come back to. A lot of people on babysitting as well. As to what do you pay a babysitter? So I shall return to that uh, as well throughout the course of the morning. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Back to the phones we go. Michael's on four. Michael, good morning. Thanks for holding. You're an employer. You're employing your employer in construction, is it? Absolutely. And oh. um, you know, I just like to speak up for the city and the people, the young people especially, because you know, I see what I see in the times that we live in. It's not easy for anyone. It's not easy for businesses. It's not easy for the city, and it certainly is not easy for young people. You know, you've just sat and blessed to sit below at the electric the other evening, mentioning the electric was kind of, you know, just sitting there trying to figure out myself how business is going to go forward in the construction, what have you. It's still going to be the same as it ever was. You still need purpose and you still need all the old, you know, the old systems or the old ways of what people are calling it is the best professional way to do it. If you've got young people standing below in the city and they're 17 or 18 and people are going around saying that they have no hope and they're this and that, I'm saying, that's a 17-year-old person asking that city for a future. That's another 17 or 18-year-old person asking the city for a future. And each one of them has a purpose. And each one of them has a life to live. And yeah, but why don't they get on with the purpose, so rather than hanging out and fighting is, in gangs and looking, robbing people and acting the fool? See, the point, the point is you're not looking at it from their point of view. You're looking at it from the opposite point of view, saying, you've done it. You've got truth. You've got to the point where you have businesses, same here, and I'm blessed to have it. And I'm blessed to be in a position to say, do you know what, let's look at it from their point of view. They don't want to stand on the street shouting at everybody about anything and doing anything. They want opportunity. They say, look, this is what I want to be in my life. I want to be a carpenter. How do I do that? That is then the employer's job to guide them through that. One person can't do everyone, but the city coming together as a business community can certainly say, why are we not employing them? Why are we not employing the youth that will build the next generation's houses that will pay, like, you give a person a wage, four to six hundred quid a week, whatever it is, they will re-spend that back into the same economy. We don't want to have to sit and say, look, we can only spend our money here because it's grouped into that, or we can only spend our money there. We want to enjoy the city as it turns, as it should turn. It's a turn with the freedom of a person saying, we don't want to have to stand in groups below on the boardwalk to try and get attention. They don't, what's for? To print out a CV, to go into a, a program, to do a course, to do something, to come back out and look for a job again? 
the business people need to recognise the opportunity of what's happening. Yeah, but like yeah. You, you can't, you, like you can't just hire somebody to become a plumber or become an electrician or become a carpenter. But they you, have to go in and train. They have to get an education first. I fully agree. I fully agree. And what I'm saying is, I'm not actually saying that each one of them is going to be in construction. What I'm saying is, ask the individual instead of them chasing them around the city in antisocial behaviour or blaming them for it. A recruiter, just go up and ask them what you want to do or someone experienced because they already know what they want to do. I'm very good at working with young people and apprentices because they'll tell you, they'll say, this is what I want to do in my life for the next four years. Like if you could get them away individually to chat with them, there would be a completely different person to the gang mentality behaviour that they have, is it? And no, that's actually, and that's why I studied as well. I said, I'm not looking to, we're not looking to break them up as a community because they're a group that want to, that actually get on with each other. You're looking to upskill them so that in 10 years' time, they'll look back and say, cheers, well, at least they still know all of you. We came through a very difficult time in life and we've all got skills and houses and we supported each other. You're not looking to break them up. You're looking to give them and enhance their skills. Look at it differently. They haven't got the opportunities. They haven't got the skills. So they're, it's out of fear. But there, was never, but there was never more opportunities available now. From, here, from the business side, I fully agree with you. I fully, completely agree. That's the, the kind of just break the mindset of why are they hanging out together? It's out of fear. Fear? Fear of what? Completely. Of the singularity of being put into a place where they're told that they can't come out for a year. You can't do this for a year. So they'll come out in a group to try and support each other to say it's okay to be out. Oh, COVID, you mean? I'm saying, you know, I don't like the word COVID because I think it was a very interesting era in time. But I find that we're now going to have to come up past that to try and develop it. If you want a solution to what's happening, just just from my mindset of what I see, is that you see a group of people hanging together and being together it is out of fear because they don't want to. No I know there's nothing wrong with groups of young people hanging together and chatting and having so, fun and even a bit of caffling and acting the fool. That's perfectly acceptable to me anyway. And even having a few drinks, I have no issue with any of that. It's when it borders into criminality and gang activity and drug dealing and robbery and theft and, you know, damaging <laughs> people's property. That's setting fires and things. That's, that's just not acceptable. I fully agree. And I completely agree, right? And it's, it's out of... And this is from my own perspective. I gathered in this city, I think it was nearly 2016. And out of my own personal arrogance, I went along with, we have to build new communities, we have to do this, we have to do that. Yet I hadn't the wisdom at the time to look at the fact that there was nothing wrong with the community. I have that now, looking backwards. But these young people don't have the wisdom of what they're doing to themselves by standing there. They're becoming what society is looking to solve when they don't need to be solved. They're looking for the opportunity to develop their own life, to have their own house, to have their nice car, to have their future that they can go on a plane in six years' time. They want the future. They don't want to be where they are. They just don't know it. How are we going to tell them that, you know... I suppose the opportunity is there for the businesses to come together and say, right, there was a time in this country when the business people were saying, let's get serious, because serious business people need to be serious about what they're doing. They're standing back too much, they're not leaning in too much, and they need to say, right, business is always going to be a risk. It always has been a risk. That's what business is. But you don't just all lean back out of the city. Yeah, but you don't want to be... Who wants to hire a thug, like? Do you know, what were you at 17? You were what the, what the city was making you. True. You were what the times yeah, you were living yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, very true. And it's, you know, I'm genuinely, 
when you're in business, you serve. I'm serving the people that work for me harder than they'll ever know. I am serving the clients harder than they'll ever know. But yet we also have to be in the city saying, I will not sit by idly just drinking a drink. First drink actually in about two months. And watch 18 or 19 youths in each group getting blamed for what society is doing to them. I know. I mean, don't be talking about the ones that just gather to socialise in the city or down the quays. I agree. That's just one they, example. No, right? they're, they're, so, they're doing no harm to nobody. They're just getting good. on with their mates and having a bit of fun. That's not the issue no. here. I'm not. I'm not targeting or saying anyone or any individual or face or any. You know, I'm just saying what I see. So if you go along and you give 18 people out of any group or every group, give them an opportunity. Where when someone goes into the town to work with a CV, that the manager of the business says, right, it is my duty as a manager to report back to my employer the head of the business, is that there is a person in there looking for a job. They don't want to be just going in there for a day, as you're saying, and not getting paid and a trial effort. They should be given a receipt for their day's effort and say, look, there's the value of someone that comes in for a day's work. Instead okay. of being thrown from business to business to yeah. business, because a lot of that is happening. And if they're taken seriously as a business that runs a business from the top down, doesn't matter how many bars you own or how many bars you don't own. If a person comes in the door, that's a business transaction of a person for that day. They should not be left out the door without payment. Well, I, 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 I'm not a fan of these trials. I think they're slave labour. I think they're awful things. That's to me, we well, so it's not even something that should be considered in Cork if they want to go forward. All right. Okay. Let me get some more calls on the air. And you looking? Are you hiring? Or are you fully staffed? Or what? Am I hiring? I will hire till the day I die because every person I've ever, ever taken on, no matter what their social behaviour, their social class, they've always tried to give me the opportunity. You just go ask them, what do they want to do next with their life? And that's a fact. You pay their taxes. The employer has to get them through training and all that properly and correctly. Once you do that, they already fly themselves. I've had hundreds of employees. So I think the city needs to wake up stop not listening, stop playing the social behaviour, stop playing all the negative things and start saying, how can we all come as a city together and help the people of our city by giving employment that will give food onto the tables of the working class people, no matter what their social behaviour, not there to judge their social behaviour, you're there to see what you can do for them. Powerful words. Thanks for sharing, Michael. Appreciate you coming yeah, on air. It could be food for thought for other people's opinions. Text 0868104106. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the food we eat, according to Ed, the lifestyle pharmacist, particularly the younger generation. Just a quick call from him that when he says, you're going to laugh at this, but all bad behavior is linked to the food we eat. Ed, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Neil. Um, follow that. That's a very powerful call from, from Michael, I have to say. When you say the food we eat, are you talking about sugar, processed food, junk? Absolutely, and that, that would be, I suppose, the, the tip of the iceberg. And, and I would agree with that gentleman after saying, I think we've got to realise that the young people are the future, and we've got to build the foundation strong. And by doing that, what we need to do is make them realise that they have some value to add as opposed to, as you were saying, going around in, in, in groups and then being the big fella and being able to do something when you're surrounded by 10 or 20 friends. The problem here is that when you take these kids and they go home, they're either eating the wrong foods, they've, got a, they've actually got a, a very bad mindset. Mm. And if you actually talk to them, a lot of these kids are actually not in a good place. They're very excitable. They're very overreactive. They, they always remind me of a, of a racehorse 
the difference between a, a zebra and a racehorse is the racehorse is really, you know, bitey, he, he's tippy, just like that. We've got to realise that a lot of this is coming from what we put in our mouths. Because... They're hyper, is it? Well, well, think about it. ADHD, you take away sugar and all the E-numbers and all the processed food and you watch your new child emerge. It is unbelievable what can happen to the body when you actually change what you feed it. It's that simple. Now, obviously, the change can't include processed foods. These processed foods are so addictive. Yeah. And it's that addiction that brings you back for more. And that gentleman or the previous gentleman was talking with somebody who was depressed. And look what a little bit of care and food did to that lady. A little bit of food. Oh, Patty O'Brien's conversation with the with the depressed woman up in um, yeah. Uh, so so so. You, but you see, a lot of that food is very convenient. It's very cheap. This is the problem here, Neil. Now, so if I come in and come on to your radio station and say it's convenient, and they say, "Oh, but it's cheap. I can't afford to do A, B, and C." That's absolutely rubbish because the state is paying for the consequential health deterioration of the nation. Our biggest cost to run this country is healthcare. 85% of chronic disease is caused by what you eat. You change what you eat and the new meal emerges. And I suppose if you were feeding less of the convenience junk, sugar, processed, dried, boxed food for small children, you're feeding their brain better, aren't you? Absolutely. Not only are you feeding your brain better or their brain better, you're actually feeding their gut bacteria better. You know, it's a wee bit like, you know, as I said before, if you're walking down a dark alleyway and you go, oh God, I don't know whether I should walk down here. Your gut is telling you something. Your gut communicates with your brain every second of every day. It's those bacteria in your gut. If your bacteria in your gut are in a good state from good food, you'll have a great mental state. And do you include all of the high energy drinks and the power drinks and the sugar drinks that people are consuming these days in vast quantities? Well, look at Ronaldo, what he did. Coca-Cola, the way since he wanted agua. Well, the reason he did that wasn't a financial thing. But how, but how do you know that? I mean, how do you know that Ronaldo didn't do that because he wasn't being paid to have two Coke bottles in front of him? You don't know. Well, I, well okay, and that is a possibility. But Ronaldo's got more money than, than I could even dream of. But he's got an honour. He's The only thing Ronaldo is going to leave is his name. Okay. He realises this now. And you, I think it's really important that people realise that your ability to control your health is very much stemmed from your kitchen and basically the toxins that you put into your body. Remember this, Neil. Most food that has a shelf life has a preservative. A preservative is a mini antibiotic that has a very negative effect on your gut bacteria. Yeah, and is that affecting people's personality then? Is it driving kids hyper, too much energy, too much testosterone, uh, capable of exploding then because of this type of food? Well, you asked me a question when I'm only after overreacting to somebody and hitting them a slap. You will get a different answer 
to the question you asked me, the same question, when I'm actually relaxed and in good form, and not that... And do you see a connection between, say, for instance, ADD, ADHD, as being a reaction to bad food? Absolutely. Okay. If you don't want to believe me, I say take the three-week challenge, challenge, and I'm telling you now, after three weeks, you will see a different child. And, and what's the three-week challenge then? Fresh is best, is it? Well, no. Three weeks for me is make that change. If you change what you eat, three weeks is what you will, when you will see a massive difference. Okay. okay. And I can only but say it when I made my changes. And I, I just, I, I, my brain function is better today than it was when I was at college 30 years ago. I would not go back to processed food, not if you give it to me for nothing. And I think people need to realize okay. the power that you have and the negative consequences of having a bad diet. Neil, it's catastrophic. If anybody has a they're more than welcome to contact me. Okay, listen, um, uh, that's Ed, the lifestyle pharmacist. They can follow you, what, on uh, webpage, Facebook page, Instagram? Yeah, I'm on, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not a major Instagram, but yes, I'm on Facebook and lifestylepharmacist.ie. Okay, listen, thanks for catching up as always. Um, maybe that conversation make a, di- make, make a difference in one person's life, in one child's life, in one family's life. Uh, come back after the break. Text 0868104106. Thomas is standing by. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850 104106. Red FM. Hi, folks. My 16-year-old was looking for summer work and someone passed on details of a car golf course who was looking for summer workers. So my son rang the person in question, was interviewed over the phone and was told, they'd call him back in the afternoon. My son sat with the phone in his hand all day, waiting and waiting for a call back. That was two weeks ago. Nobody ever rang him back. You're trying to teach teenagers respect and trying to do the right thing. But what does that actually tell a 16-year-old? Says Stephen by email to neil at redfm.ie. Interestingly, and this is true, Ronaldo is the, Ronaldo is the face of KFC, right? So is KFC better than Coke then, says Michael? Interesting point, and he is. And there's loads and loads of adverts that you can Google of uh, Ronaldo doing ads for KFC. So was he suggesting KFC is good, uh, Coca-Cola is bad? Um Lines open one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Anyway, just see if we can accentuate some of the positive. Thomas, good morning. Good morning, Neil. On a recent oh, yeah. trip to Cove for an anniversary, go ahead. That's right. Uh, Monday we were thirteen years married, and we got married in Cove. You know. Yeah. So basically, my uh, my daughter actually Chantel was after booking us into the Commodore Hotel. So we went down and uh, on the train, beautiful, and walked in the door, and lo and behold. When we got to the room, there was a big box of uh, a welcome card. Congratulations, right? We it's a back. beautiful hotel, isn't it? And I'm, it? and I'm told they've done fabulous work inside. It's gorgeous, the Commodore. Oh, it's absolutely. What they've done there, Neil, is massive. I mean, massive. But we were there, and next minute, we went down for something to eat, and there was this young lad. Now, people are saying about young people are walking. Dylan is his name, right? And basically... My wife said, what would you recommend on the food? So he said, um, the Thai curry, like that. Yeah. So basically, the Thai curry came out. I had fish with chips and tartar sauce, which I love. Yeah. And it was a, the food was amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. The staff, 
there's Dylan uh, Aideen Sabrina is the manager I think but in the Commodore is it? in the Commodore yeah, were, yeah. yeah excellent it, I mean the rooms were immaculate I couldn't say any more about them but the staff the way they treated us the way everything was done it was a million percent young staff then you're talking about Young staff, yeah. Yeah, and and did you have a wander around then as well? In other places? I'll tell you what I've done. I'll tell you then what I've done. We went over to the Titanic, and that blew my mind away because the last time I seen that, there was actually three fires there. And when we went over there, I met a man, a gentleman by the name of Mark, a young a young gentleman, and his staff was super. We went in and sat down by looking over Spike Island, had our meals. Over there as well. They have a lovely courtyard, day. yeah. And gonna, it was down the last week, and I saw people wandering in, and I was looking at their menu. And actually, I'm planning to bring my dad back there for a bit of bit of food in the courtyard of the Titanic, overlooking the bay uh, oh, next week cool. on a sunny day. It's lovely, isn't it? it it's I I intend you know whatever choreograph they're doing, somebody'd want to take a leap out of their boat because it's run impeccably. It's superb. Absolutely superb. Yeah. Well, Mark was there and he was saying to me, you can do this, you can do that. He was telling me, no, we, we got married uh, 13 years ago, but he, he was the nicest, most gentle. But this young lad, Dylan, I can't get over him. This young lad, Dylan, is going to go places. Fair play, fair play. You know? Well, it's very kind to come back and to accentuate the positive about a good experience like that. So well oh, done to all concerned. I, I recommend it to anyone just to go down to the Tri-Sanipa and the Commodore, both of them, just have a look at what you can see. You wouldn't see it in Portugal, Spain or anywhere else. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful any time, but uh, I hope you got a bit of weather. Did you get a bit of sun? Oh, yeah. Right, we were right next to it. Super. You know, it was beautiful. All right. Beautiful. Well said. Thanks for that. Not the greatest line in the world, but thank you, Thomas. Cheers, my man. Take care. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. With regards to booking for a table that isn't deducted off the bill, we had exactly the same problem. It was Secret Garden. We had to pay twelve fifty each, and there was four of us. There was no warning or anything saying that it was coming out of our account. I asked if we could use it against the food, and they said no. It was an entry fee. We were there last weekend. Shocking. Uh, Book Secret Garden for this Saturday for a group of six of us. Unfortunately, we can't go. So I had to cancel the booking on Sunday night. I sent multiple, multiple messages and emails and tried to ring them about my deposit. I'm being ignored. It's a bit of a joke keeping the money after giving plenty notice. So keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. There's lots on many different topics. Um, and also babysitting. I have one child who is nine. It's 10 euro an hour for babysitting, 15 euro after midnight. No minding in her really, but I pay it nonetheless. <laughs> you still have to have somebody minding a nine-year-old, I suppose. So a tenner up to midnight, 15 after that. Uh, Neil, they're minding your most precious thing. They're spending hundreds on you're spending hundreds on your night out, and they don't want to pay a childminder a good rate. Come on, I babysat until I was twenty. I'm now thirty, and the couple used to give me twenty five euro for the night, and sometimes didn't come home until three in the morning. I ended up giving up because it just wasn't worth it. Think they were taking advantage of you. That was way too little for the long hours. Fifteen to twenty euro an hour for babysitters. I'm a childminder. I'm paid 50 euro a day for a toddler and the parents reluctantly pay that to have their most precious girl looked after in a loving home environment seven hours a day. Am I the fool? Should I charge the minimum hourly rate? Please don't give out my details. You're charging 50 a day uh, for seven hours every single day. Maybe it's worked out by the fact that 
you know, you might are you minding the child in your own home five days a week? So on that basis, it's two hundred and fifty the week, and it's cash, perhaps also. Um, is Neil for real with the babysitting money? Childminders getting four or five hours an hour, four or five euro an hour. Why would a teenager get double when it's night time? <sighs> well, what are you suggesting? Uh, childminding during the day is four or five euro an hour, so it should be four or five euro. Um, babysitting rate as well. I just don't think you get somebody to babysit for a five or an hour. I just you might once, but I don't think they'll come back. I will after these. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Mary says, I have to explain to you the difference between childminding and babysitting rates. Childminders get five to six euro per hour by day because they have four or five kids in the house. So that's five euro a head, which means that it's 25 euro or more an hour. Bear in mind, it's all cash too. Some child miners are doing very well, thank you very much, and a lot of them don't pay tax either, says Mary. Thank you for that. One thing about minding children, what about dogs? Here's an interesting one by email. I'm an elderly resident living in the city, well, a southern part of the city. There's a female couple living in the area, and they mind dogs for a living, not children. They mind dogs for a living. But more often than not, these dogs are left in the house with nobody minding them. This morning, once the last dog was dropped off, the lady in the house proceeded to get into her car and left at 9am, never came back till 3 in the afternoon. All of these unattended dogs barking and howling all day. I've tried discussing this with the couple previously. They just shrug it off and pretty much said, mind your own business. What should I do? Is there anything that can be done about it? Don't give out my details for fear of my neighbour. Um, there's a lot, I mean, it's, it's, it's peculiar actually because I, I think it's amazing that all of these people are, dro- are dropping off all of these dogs to be minded as they go about their lives or maybe go off to work and they think that they're getting a child minding service from this couple and they're dropping their dogs off at nine o'clock in the morning completely ignorant of the fact that as soon as the last dog, dog is dropped off the couple, you're alleging, just leave the house. They leave the dogs in there. I don't know, is it in the house or in the, the back garden? Or is there some kind of a cordoned off area where all the dogs are? And they're just literally left there, barking and howling all day long. It's easy money, isn't it? It's just literally using the house as a place to store dogs until the owners of the dogs come back and pay you and collect them. And they're howling and barking all day long. You have two options. One is the city council dog warden, pick up the phone. Or if you really want to get a response, then I would get on to the uh, CSPCA, Vincent Cashman, uh, who's the head of the CSPCA in the city. They're based down in Mahan. And he certainly would take an interest in your case. In fact, I think I might just pass on the email to him when we get off the air and see what he makes of it. Uh, Because he certainly would pay a visit because that clearly is animal cruelty. It's also human cruelty because people are paying good money for what deems to me to be an absolutely shocking service. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Imro Music Station of the Year. You're on Cork's Red FM. If nothing changes, and it's barbecue weather no matter what way you look at this, and Carew's Garden Centre and Cafe, Carew's Wood Garden Centre and Cafe down in Castle Martyr is certainly worth the journey and certainly worth um, checking out. It's beautifully laid out, gorgeous, gorgeous, fabulous place. Uh, lovely food also. So we have 50 euro vouchers to give away every day, and then tomorrow the super deluxe Weber Genesis Gas Grill Barbecue. Uh, 
uh, courtesy of ourselves and Carew's Wood Garden Centre and Cafe. I was down there yesterday. It's all within a beautiful 19th century walled garden. Uh, and it's perfect for all of your plants and your shrubs and your trees and your potting plants and all the accessories and things that you need. Also a bit of food. Um, and Daniel is down there waiting to welcome you. So this is an audio montage of things that you may well hear in your garden. I don't know how many of the uh, knock and noise things that I've ever had in the back garden. I wouldn't mind them actually. Do a bit of work for me. Uh, but these are three different sounds that you need to identify for today's 50 euro voucher and you're into the draw for tomorrow. So the three different sounds all working together. Like just imagine that you're in your back garden. Um, you're hearing these sounds. So a very busy garden, a lot of activity going on there, isn't there? A lot of people working, a lot of uh, pieces of equipment going. <laughs> Say no more than that. <laughs> we'll open the phone lines around about 10 minutes to midday. You can get guessing on that then. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. My apologies to Vincent. I've kept him waiting for half an hour. Vincent, good morning. Good morning, Neil. I kept, you, you? I kept you waiting since Ed the pharmacist was on, the lifestyle pharmacist. You are what you eat, he says, and we're fueling our bodies I, with all of I, the wrong stuff. I, I was very taken by what he said, and I couldn't agree with him more. I got, during the pandemic, I, I got addicted to junk food. Like Did a you lot really? Really? Actually yeah. addicted? Sweet, sweet things. My last addiction was, you know those small tree three uh, pack Snickers you buy them in Tesco for one forty nine. <laughs> there's a little nuts on them <laughs> three Every, and of course you eat, you're only supposed to eat one but when you sit in the couch watching telly you eat all three you together. do I know yeah yeah the, the second one is calling and then after the second one you think I can't leave the third fellow lonely all on his own well what's incredible about it as Ed was saying is the addictive level of the sugar and the, all the sweet things that nearly when it's, when I eat it it hits my brain straight away but now I went to my annual blood thing and they weren't good so I'm on week four without all those junk chocolates and the other deadly one I was doing I thought was fine lemon and lime water the sweetened water <laughs> and all that deadly <laughs> And uh, I'm off it about four weeks, but I'll tell you one thing. You get the heebie-jeebies when you get off it. You get headaches and you get... Getting off sugar and sweet things is no bloody joke, I'll tell you that. So there was withdrawal symptoms then, you're describing? Chalk it down, chalk it down. You get, a, you get, like, you get huge cravings. It's as addictive as, I think, nicotine coming uh, off the cigarette. And what are you, you supposed know? to reach for then when you get a craving? What, what, what's this? You have to substitute it with something. That's exactly it. Would you believe my New Year's resolution back in December was that I'm going to get a dietitian? And would you believe I shopped around and I'm putting it out there now. I'm looking for a dietitian because I work better when I work with other people. Like getting off the drink, I work with a therapist for about a year and a half. So I'm looking for a dietitian to help me. What do you replace it with? When I get the real cravings, I go for an apple maybe a strawberry you have to get something into you because the cravings are so strong I go for the natural sugar 
like an orange, an apple. Whether I'm doing the right thing or not, I don't know. So have you cut out all all sugary treats then completely? Yeah. Yeah, and okay. the other one. Do you, is have you got we, have you weight issues? Have you blood pressure issues? Are you yeah. borderline diabetic? Yeah, I, I, too? I, my weight, my weight went up high eighties. I should be between seventy nine and eighty one. Like I'm, but for my height, I'm about. I think I'm about eighty seven, eighty eight. All right, so you so got to get that down then. Weight. Yeah. I need to lose weight. But are you eating... And okay, forget about... You know you talk about all the sugary treats and the chocolate and the sweets and the sugary drinks. Do you eat junk food, processed food, takeaway food, frozen food? I do eat takeaways maybe twice a week. Yeah. I don't cook enough meals myself, yeah. You know? Like you don't really need a dietitian. You just need to use cop on, really, you know, common well, sense. Yeah, well, that's a, but a funny thing, a dietitian. The other thing that's interesting, and Ed talked about it, and that I'm interested in going, that's why I wanted a dietitian, is for mental health and people with my mental health, there's a lot of people with bipolar, different anxiety. And what I'm interested in going forward is the last leg of the tree, really, is what you eat and how it affects your brain. And I think it has a huge impact. Like, if you get on the right track with the diet, I think my mental health has... I'm sleeping better with the three weeks I'm off the sugar, the junk. And I think, like, I think... I think dietitians is a great idea. I think there should be a lot more of them rolled out because it would help a lot of people. Well... But I'm talking talking about... There's a lot of people in my situation that we're addicted to junk food, addicted to sugar... You know, everybody knows it. And that's looking at it through the prism of an adult. Can you imagine what it must be like for children, particularly children who are fed all the wrong foods? Um, We clearly have an an obese problem in this country with all age groups, but primarily now it seems to be with children. Uh, And we're following America and the UK with that, and it's the food that the children... And it was a great example. I follow the Euros. Then they turned out out to find that uh, COVID-related issues are also very much impacted by people's weight. So we know the the dangers... Mm -hmm. You, you, yeah. What were you going to say there about, was this soccer? You were Ronaldo say? put away the Coke, the Coca-Cola bottles. And uh, I, I was reading last night, he doesn't, his kids are banned from uh, drinking Coca-Cola. That's it. They're so why does, he, why, does he, why does he take money for sponsorship then for KFC buckets? I know, I know that. <laughs> I know, I know. But it's, it's fairness, like on, on, the, on the Coca-Cola, he, he set a good example there, I think, you know. But uh, what, it, it is not, like the point I'm making is, what Ed is talking about, it's not easy to get off biscuits, chocolate, ice cream, blah, blah, blah. It's not an easy gig, I'll tell you that. I've given up the drink. I'm off for 10 years. I'm well out of that, but I gave up the cigarettes. But I tell you, giving up sugar and the sweet things. <laughs> but you can't not allow yourself a biscuit with a cup of tea, surely. No, I, I, my, I, my shopping now is banned out of the house. Sweet chocolate. Yeah, but you're oh, oh, the odd packet of Garibaldi or the odd Marietta, yeah. surely, or chocolate yeah, gold grain, for God's sake. I, I have an addictive personality. You have one and you have ten, you know. The other one is that I like coffee. And the other one that I think is a good switch is getting away from all the cappuccino and latte and all that and just going for a black Americano. I think they're all bloody calories and all that. And I like what I'm talking about. If there's a dietitian out there, I need one. All right. But I, I'm, on, I'm on a low cost one. I don't want to be paying a fortune for them. I'll play a song for you now. The Candyman. That's what I'm going to call you. All right, everybody. Gather around. The Candyman. The Candyman. The Candyman. The Candyman. 
Ah, come on, you gotta feel good. You must feel better having heard the Candyman. But the great Sammy Davis Jr., you gotta be tapping your feet and smiling to that one. I saw the most amazing documentary of his life. Amazing. It was about two months ago. I think they had it up on Sky. It's about three hours long. It was in two parts. Uh, I'm just fascinated by the whole Rat Pack and that era and the music and the big band sound. I always have been. But the study of his life in this documentary, Sammy Davis, was just awesome. I mean, he come, he came from an awful start in life. Awful. Never mind the fact with the colour of his skin and the amount of prejudice against black people. But just the the way he was raised. I mean, he was raised in, um, as they would call in America, a whorehouse. Literally. That's where he was born. That's where he was raised. And his talent was just awesome, his dancing skills and his music skills. Um, But he had a very, very, very complicated life, Sammy Davis Jr. Really, really complicated in so many different ways. Be talking about his life for an hour here. I don't remember what the name of the documentary was, but it literally was probably called something like Sammy, if you can find it. The Life and Times of the Great Sammy Davis Jr. And the Candyman, he hated that song. He hated recording it. He hated performing it. But yet it went on to become one of his biggest hits, that and Mr. Bojangles and stuff like that. I think maybe the Candyman was his most popular one ever. It was amazing how artists have big hits with songs that they actually dislike. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. You're flying with the guests, lads, but uh, it's not a text competition. I'll be opening the phone lines. Oh, can I say, Joe Kremen, you got two right, one wrong. vast majority of texts that I'm seeing on this are right, so you have no problem with it. I'll open the phone lines on those three garden sounds around about ten minutes to midday. Meanwhile, John, good morning. Morning, Neil. Okay, so we covered a lot of ground on pop payments, people who are going back to work, won't go back to work, part-time jobs, summer jobs, and all sorts of stuff, particularly um, people who are looking for jobs, people apply and they never get back to them. Some things just never change. Yeah, well, I was listening uh, with interest yesterday about... uh the ghost of the slave labour program that was started in 2011 uh, by Joan Burton. Job search, is it? Yeah, well, slave, slave, slave job or slave labour, was it? Where, they, where they, people got the fancy title of uh, intern and you were taken on. Uh, listen, if there's a job there, it's a pain. I know an awful lot of people were kept on when they went on as interns. No, no, very, very few actually. Very few. That, that was uh, uh, more misinformation. Uh, by and what about the ones that I heard of? People who were taken on as interns, got full time <laughs> gigs out of them. Were they few and far yeah. between? Then, or, or, or they were. Well, listen. There was two hundred companies signed up to this when it started, and it, it was so blatantly abused uh, by companies that uh, I think it was about thirty five or forty companies were actually struck off by the government because uh, it was... And it was an awful lot more than a couple of hundred. I mean, there was other employers actually topped up the money. There was 200 companies signed up to the slave labour programme and there was there was people laid off their off their jobs and they took on people and they could change them again in in, in three or four months' time. Now, if there's a job, if there's a job there, it's a paying job. And uh, this this thing about uh, children or, or kids are getting uh, work experience. There's nothing like uh, giving them a pay packet at the end of the week to give them all the experience that they need. So like, uh, so this is rattling around now again, is it? And 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 uh, because of the situation that kids have to try and get out and they must try and get a job because they're bored from being locked down and, and the rest. 
they said I'm going to work the second time around at all because ah, no, no I mean the summer job is entirely different you know yeah. like you know, a summer, a su- I've no problem with a summer job if it's a summer job that they're being paid for so like we there was a mention yesterday of a Chinese restaurant I believe wasn't yeah. there yeah come yeah. in for so come ten, in for two weeks trial I yeah. will I will yeah yeah so you, you're telling me so that a party of four can go into that restaurant and sit down and order and say they're there to test the food that they may be back at a later date, is it? <laughs> and, and, and do you think that they're going to ask you what would you like to drink with it, is it? <laughs> I'm trialling the food for another date, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. No, so, look, this is, this, all this carry-on is lure because it's slave labour and it's nothing more. If there's a job there, you pay the, the, the kid whatever it's worth, and that's an arrangement between you and them. And it shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be allowed. And as a matter of fact, any business that's doing it should be named so that we can boycott them. Because I don't want to go into some place to be served by somebody who's working for nothing. Who's on this so-called trial. Okay, good yeah. points. Thanks for that. Well made. Thank you, John. Uh, here, here's a very powerful email, actually. Uh, have a listen to this, John, everybody else as well. Hairdressers... Uh, from a hairdresser actually uh, hairdressers like me are coming in and have been on your program for a lot of criticism for double jobbing during lockdowns and taking the government payment and working on the black market can I tell you I've been hairdressing for many years and really love all of my clients it's a job you can't do if you don't like people during the pandemic a lot of them called me to do their colour Um, for occasions such as funerals and weddings or just to feel better. What was I going to say? No. As long as my heart is beating, I will help people if I can. Initially, I was picking up a box colour for the job. As time went on, more people would ask me. It was always for a colour, never a blow dry or anything. I always wore a mask, tried to protect my client as best I could. Well, then I sourced the correct product and started upping my prices, which were still a lot less than the salon. I really liked what I was doing, my new and easier way of life, so I decided to go solo. This happened organically. And for everyone who calls in and says, you took the pop payment, you are right. But I couldn't not do it as I was working below the radar and initially I was only charging for the cost of the colour. Well, the clients were all tipping me very generously as well, though. Uh, Here's the thing. The hairdressing industry takes four years to train you. Four years. I could train somebody in about 12 months. It takes five years to train as a doctor. A hairdresser takes four. I now believe the four-year training is for slave labour. So many of us swept the floor and cleaned basins and mirrors for so long. If you own a salon, you're minted. But if you're a general employee, it's a tough, tough game. We had to share our tips, but you never knew how much was coming in. We were given a certain amount. We were never shown how much came in in total. I remember in one place, our bags being searched in case we were stealing product. There was always that feeling that you were under suspicion. The hours are long, the hours are tough. You're under pressure to bring in clients and build up your own client base. You hardly get to see your friends or family, let alone sleep during the month of December. It's work, work, work. The Christmas bonus is non-existent because you're told all of the money coming in has to cover a quiet January. January may be a bit quieter, but it's far from flat. And forget about being sick. You'd be expected to turn up with your leg hanging off. 
and in many salons you are not paid sick pay you have to claim your own PRSI you get minimum holidays minimum maternity pay state benefit only so please people don't be so quick to judge those of us who are caught up in this slave labour long hours weekends and late nights for low pay with little or no thanks I'm much happier now working for myself I'm about to set up professionally and I will see how it goes next time you're in a salon have a word with your stylist about pay and conditions. You may be surprised. Um, there's a load going on in that email, actually. Firstly, just the last bit. I think it would be very difficult to have a word with your stylist on the QT. I mean, how willing would a stylist be in an open salon to tell you how awful their job is or how awful their pay and conditions are, how, how awful the, the, um, the owner is? I think they would be very much disinclined to share that for you. But good luck to you now. You're, you're saying that you're going to go and set up professionally. But um, when that happened, I mean, are you still on the pup? Have you stopped the pup? Are you still taking the pup? And he said, I had to keep taking the pup because it was working below the radar. Ah, oh, poor you. Um, so um, professionally probably means that you will stop the pup and you'll stop everything else and you'll start paying tax and start, um, you know, contributing honestly and come out of the black market now is it if you do all of that of course you're a legitimate business if you don't do all of that then you're not anyway your thoughts on that text 0868104106 pick up the phone on 1850104106 a lot of people critical of those that go overseas then with regards to getting dental work or um, you know a lot of people go for cosmetic surgery boob jobs teeth jobs uh, others go for hair implants and transplants and stuff like that so we'll come back to a lot of that throughout the course of the morning. Can I just do this, if you don't mind? Uh, and then I'll come back to some more of your calls in a few minutes' time. We are talking about mispronunciations on the air yesterday, and I gave you the top ten words that are mispronounced. And I got a massive response to it. Some of these are very much exclusively corkisms, if you like. Not all of them. But here are some of the texts. My husband used to correct me on and condensation for condensation. Now I just keep saying condensation just to annoy him. Uh, another one is play it by year instead of play, <laughs> instead of play it by ear. How about Halloween instead of Halloween? And my dad, who's passed now, used to say hospital instead of hospital. Others say Ireland, um, but don't say Ireland. What you mean is they, instead they say Ireland, Ireland or Kingsale. Or Alstation, or Majorca, where they overpronounce the J. Or people say in Cork, "tis morning, tis morning" instead of "this morning," uh, etc. Instead of etc. I worked in fast food, and you wouldn't believe the amount of people who want engines in their burgers. Ingens, is it? Ingens, I suppose, how you pronounce it. My mum always mispronounced remote control. She used to say me road control. It's even hard to say me road control. And instead of petrol, she used to say pertrol. That's like somebody who would say colon instead of cocklin. Or cocklin instead of colon. My mother, Veronica, can't say zip. She says an azip. That's a cork one if there ever was one. My mother was the same. My grandmother before her. The azip. I need to fit in, broke the zip. Overpronouncing words like carpenter, committee, electrician. <laughs> this is Joe. Super value is pronounced wrong. There's no E at the end of it. So I suppose 
super value isn't actually super value. It's super value. Super value. There's reams of these. Um, Jamie Walsh, age 13. I think another mispronunciation is remember, where people say member. Remember that. I like that. That's another corkism. Um, you're guilty of lots of them, Neil, and I know that Emer pointed them out yesterday, but here's another one of yours. Millions instead of millions. <laughs> I do say millions. Comma T. When people say unreal instead of unreal, they say, that's unreal. My partner always gets the word hunk wrong. She pronounces it langer. <laughs> She's, she means to say you're an awful hunk. <laughs> uh, not pronunciation, but spelling. What grinds my gears is when people mean to spell definitely, but end up with defiantly. Ah, that's that goddamn autocorrect spell check. People say Ulster instead of ulcer. Then you have people instead of the baby's bottle, it's the baby's buckle. And just one or two more because they're quite funny. My mam has some beauties. She gets GoFundMe and calls it Go Me Fund. And the best one of all is when she says, I have to get the car balanced. <laughs> Nora in Dublin Hill. Ma'am, I still loves you. Now go and get the car balanced. Um, when my daughter was young, she asked her dad how to spell hooker. My husband was shocked and asked her, what do you mean? She said, hooker, hooker, the thing you hang your coat on. My daughter says, uh, I might come back to these, actually I will, because there's way too many of them, pages and pages of them, but good for laugh, and many of them corkisms. Right, talking about corkisms or cork stories, Deirdre, good morning. Hi Neil, how Thanks are you? Thanks for holding there, I wanted to get through those because an awful lot of people went to a lot of trouble. Tell me uh, about your grandmother, mother Elizabeth Delaney, R.I.P., Yes, yeah. So she was born Elizabeth Delaney, um, married, became McCarthy then. But she was born in 1916, in June 1916 in Nakraha. And she remembers that um, the burning of Cork. So she remembers standing outside the house in Nakraha as a four and a half year old. And she said she could see this blood red glow in the sky over Cork. Um, so we know that it would have been very late, obviously, for a four and a half year old to be awake at that time. But she had quite a lot of links, I suppose, to what was going on in Cork, um, including the Delaney brothers who had been murdered. From Dylan's Cross, time. was she related to them? Yeah, she was um, a cousin. We're not sure how far removed, but she did say she was a cousin of theirs. Um, Both shot by was- the Tans and the Oxies, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's it, yeah. And uh, her house at the time also would have been about a kilometre as the crow flies from the infamous Sing Sing prison as well, um, which through the fields, um, she would have been about a kilometre. Sing Sing was also. an underground tunnel, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a, an underground vault in um, a, a nearby vault. graveyard. And that's where, I suppose, the prisoners, either spies or members of the Tans Auxiliaries, etc., were held um, prior to execution in the nearby Ray um, area. So that was a wooded area very close to the house. Did she tell um, you all these stories? She did? 
Well, she told us about uh, the cousins and she told us about um, it seeing the sky blood red and it was kind of etched in her memory. And it was when we started digging in, we realised she was really in a hub of an area at that time as well, yeah. So she she was r- referring to December 1920 and she'd have been yeah. four years old. Yeah, she was four years old. Yeah, she remembers this, yeah, um, at the time. And her, her poor mother um, at the time was actually widowed um, since 1918, so she was there with seven small children, one of whom was a baby, um, on that night on her own in the house. So um, it, it was. How come her husband died died so young? What was the story there? Um, he actually died in a tug of war in Watergrass Hill. Ah. Um, so he was, yeah, he was a very athletic man. Um, got involved in a lot of sports, but apparently he was involved in the tug of war, and he had, um, I think it was a cardiac um, weakness. Uh, he went to hospital, yeah, and he died. He collapsed and, uh, during the tug of war then, did he? Yes, yeah, I believe so, yeah. And he was brought to hospital. I think he survived for a short while, maybe a couple of days. Um, but we have the death record that he died in hospital. And she, le- she was left to rare, did you say, eight small kids? It was seven. Yeah, seven, seven, including your grandmother? Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. My God, my God. Yeah. So you, um, how, 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 when did she die? How long ago? I was 2010, yeah, so it's it's flown by, yeah, but she's a big loss to the family, yeah, definitely. But and what did she do with her school. own life then, the late Elizabeth Delaney? Um, so she married a farmer in Liam Laura and became a McCarthy and um, she farmed her whole life and even up until she was a, a you know a much older lady um, she still farmed um, she loved the land loved the animals so always very hard working throughout her life So as a four year old she told you the story of looking down into the city I guess you'd look down from Nokraha wouldn't you? I think it was the the glow of the burning in the sky is what such they was the, the such was the amount of of fire and flame and buildings on fire yeah. that the whole city was blood red. Yeah, she said she could see this glow in the sky from um, from the burning, and obviously it was very dramatic um, from the way she described it. Little be no, little did they know, I suppose, what was going on at the time that night, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, you know, we wonder if um, because of the, the family link to the cousins, they must have known that there was something big going on. And I'm sure they were very afraid themselves. Nakraha isn't that far from the city either. And I guess you wouldn't know how far it was going to spread at that point. Yeah, but yeah. yeah so they probably would have heard about the cousins um, being murdered. All right. Um, so, yeah, it was a very... Well, when I was asking her, Earlier on during the week, for people's stories of their earliest memory, that's right up there, isn't it? That's an historic memory. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now I can't claim it as my own. No. <laughs> I'm inheriting the memory, but it's a good one. Yeah, without a doubt. Thank you so much for sharing it, Deirdre. The late Elizabeth yes, Delaney, R.I.P. from Nokraha. Great story on the burning of Cork. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. And of course, we were talking about a lot of carry on then, and uh, you know things that you see in the city, things you don't want to see in the city. Interesting one there with regards to a fight, allegedly a traveller fight outside the Mercy Hospital. Uh, this came in uh, yesterday, so it would have been on the Tuesday. I can't come on air, but just wondering, did anybody else witness the fight? My sister and father did. Disgraceful and frightening scenes by all accounts. Yes, as usual, the guards are called. I'm not so sure it makes much of a difference. That's the kind of thing you witness in the city, unfortunately, which is very sad because it runs alongside 
all sorts of wonderful things that are happening with regards to the city and the great initiatives in town. I mean, if you've been in, you'll know what I'm talking about, particularly when the weather is lovely. So we see so many people out and about and enjoying the weather and outside dining. It just looks fantastic. And, you know, you put a bit of effort in, you get the results, don't you? Back after the break. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Damien says, why shouldn't people go overseas, particularly for orthodontic work, if you travel away for it, which is totally understandable in my book, as you can avail of it abroad for way under half the price it is here. Why shouldn't people be allowed to search out the best prices regardless of where they are? In fact, he says many of the orthodontists now are providing the follow-up work uh, as they're losing so much business to people going abroad, having the work carried out. He's saying that many of those involved here now are willing to do the correctional work maybe when there's a bit of tweaking involved. Thanks for that. You know what? That's a capitalist society. You can go where you want to get whatever value you want. It's not about anybody's business, but your own, I suppose. Mind you, um, uh, with all the people that love to gather in the weather, I got an email with a photograph from uh, Kennedy Key. Neil, I can't understand how they can lock up the life boys, the life rings on Kennedy Key. I hope nobody falls in when it's... uh, uh, when they're down in the area and he sent me a photograph then as well of uh, at least one life boy that is behind one of the big metal grids that would not be accessible if somebody went in so that's a that's a worry as to why that is um not a good idea those things need to be accessible all of the time particularly when the keys get busy with people having a couple of drinks outdoors and uh, one final story then and and again i love the stories where people talk of uh, you know memories and we were talking about that earlier on in the week and and also historic events on, on Leeside. Let us go down the, the channel, if you like, down the Lee, down into the estuary, down into the greater harbour area and stop up at uh, at Cove. I have a lovely story for you about a man who was actually born in Yall. But of course, we have the connection with uh, Cove or Queenstown at the time with regards to the Titanic. And Kevin's got the backstory to this. It's the story of a man called John Foley, Titanic survivor. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Neil. I was mad keen to hear the backstory to this man, John Foley, born in Yall in 1865. Go ahead. Um, well, John's story would be typical of men born in Yall around that time. I mean, he got his made his living. It's not from a great phone. Any chance you could just move around a little bit, see if we can clear it up? Is that traffic yeah. I'm hearing? Yeah, it's traffic. I was. I, 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 listen, I'll jump off. I'll jump over the ditch. <laughs> Don't break your leg, jump in a ditch, go on. I know, I know. listen, is that any better? It is, it's better. Go ahead, I won't interrupt, go on. Okay, well, Jack Foley was the yard man. The reason I'm ringing you, Neil, is because I want, we want help tracing his wife, his wife's people in Kinsale. But I'll tell you the story, a shopping version of Jack Foley. Yeah. Well, Jack was a seaman, and he met and he married a woman called Mary Minnie Murphy. She was better known as Minnie from Kinsale. And he had three children. They lived in Two Cock Street, Kinsale. Minnie's father's name was Morris. Uh, was Mar- Morris Murphy? He was a fishmonger. And there, we have no trace of her relatives. Okay, so John John Jack Foley married his daughter Minnie Murphy uh, yeah, from Cock Street. Man, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 Well, Jack and and Minnie. They, they lived in Kinsale for a while and they emigrated to Southampton around 1907. Jack done a lot of work for the White Star Line and eventually he ended up going to to Belfast 
for the delivery trip of the Titanic. That took about 28 hours. They took these particulars and such, and everything was correct. He worked on board Titanic then, did he? He did. He was a quartermaster on the delivery trip. When they went to New, uh, for the, the voyage to New York, Jack's particulars were taken down wrongly, and his place of birth was registered as York. This threw people off the scent, people that were looking for Jack Foley, people from Yall and elsewhere. So Jack Foley basically slipped into the shadows of Yall's past, and he, he was hidden there until roughly about two years ago. Okay, until so he, he was on board Titanic then, as it oh, made was, the transatlantic yeah. crossing, that doomed yeah. transatlantic crossing, when so many lives. Talk to me about his involvement in that part of the journey. Well, I'm not going to tell you too much, no, Neil, because uh, we are doing a booklet and around September, and we launched it in September. But I will tell you this, he played a hugely significant role on the night. Jack had over 25 years' experience, and he used it all into telling effect, loading lifeboats. And when one particular lifeboat was unable to be launched, himself and another fellow called Walter Perkis climbed down. They got an axe. Where do you get an axe on a sinking ship? He got it. Chopped away a sounding spare, went back up in the deck, and they found that they didn't have enough crew muscle to pull that boat away. Jack Foley was told to get into it, basically take charge of it, and he did. And he pulled that boat away. But before he did, there were two men from Cork. One of them jumped into the water. William H. Lyons was his name. He pulled him aboard. And he saw another man shooting down the falls of a rope of a previously launched lifeboat. He stuck the lifeboat in underneath that rope. That man landed safely inside in the boat. And he lived. Now, Jack Foley was quite the hero for somebody that was forgotten. So he so crewed that lifeboat, I believe, lifeboat number four, with, 50, with 50 people on board. Well, they, when they actually left, they had about 46 to 48 people. One of the interesting people that was on that was uh, uh, Jacob Astor, Astor's wife, Madeline. And Jacob Astor at the time was one of the richest men in the world, yeah. if not the richest men. Yeah. But yeah, but, but they pulled nine people from the water as well. So in total, you'd be talking over 50 people's lives. Jack was involved in helping to stay alive. And Jack... Clearly survived then, was probably picked up by the Carpathia or the California or something something like that, yeah, I guess. They were, they were picked up by the Carpathia, but they didn't have a really nice time in the lifeboat at all because they leaked very badly. They had to be bailing all night. It was cold. They were unprepared. The last thing they thought was going to happen was the Titanic was going to sink. You know, this, and there's only the, the experience of people like Jack Foley and other men. I mean, the crew of the Titanic were absolutely fantastic men. A lot of them didn't survive. Yeah, but like a, like a lot of people, a lot of people didn't want to get onto the lifeboats. So I was reading recently <laughs> that they, that many of the crew had to say, "Oh, it's only temporary. You'll be back on board for breakfast." Well, that's right. And I mean, you know, the Titanic was eight hundred and eighty-four feet long. Would you leave it if it didn't look like it was going to sink together? I know, I know. Never mind the fact that it would sink in a couple of hours or an hour and a half. So, did he tell all of these stories in later life? What what became of the well, rest of his life then? Well, I'll tell you, see, the reason where, the, the real reason we contacted you was we, we couldn't trace any of Jack's wife's relatives from Kinsale. We knew that your listenership was big, and hopefully somebody in Kinsale is listening to this now, and we'll try and find out who Mary Murphy is. Because when we, tr- when we put up the GoFundMe page to raise the money for Jack's plaque, we were contacted by his great-great-grandson in a place called Farum. 
in Hampshire. It's very close to Portsmouth. And they, they had been to Yall, found nobody that could help them. They had been to Kinsale and found nobody that could right, help them. Right, right. So, so we want to help them. And myself and another and we have to mention another fellow's name here, is Peter Landos. And uh, we want you through your show and to see, yeah. Is there, is there a plaque now to John Jack Foley in Yall? Oh, there is. There is a plaque to it. It's in the Market Square in Yall. And, and he uh, died in Southampton in 1934, having reared a family, I believe? Oh, he did. He had seven of a family. And, uh, yeah, he's buried in Hollybrook Cemetery in, in Southampton. Yeah, and but in all, he was basically forgotten. And it's understandable, really, if you think of what happened two years later. You had the Second World War came along. His, his place of birth was registered York. Wrong, wrongly. And you had the Civil War came along as well, Neil. And you, you know, if you ever want to see what the First World War brought to you all, go up to, say, up to St. Mary's Collegiate Church and see the panels that remember the dead. It's, it, it's unbelievable the devastation that brought. So all those things hid Jack Foley's memory. Okay. It's, inc- it's an incredible story of... Um, it, 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 of a very, story, of a yeah. very, um, a very brave and heroic man who really made all the difference upon that night, and it's his wife's side, Minnie Murphy's family yeah. of Cork Street, Kinsale, or anyone that would yeah. have information with regards to that side of it, which would be uh, John Jack Foley's wife's family. You're looking for yes, uh, her. Her father's name was Morris. He was a fishmonger around the turn of the century in Kinsale, I believe. He was dead. Now, whether he was in the city or whatever. Morris Murphy gave birth to Minnie Murphy, who then married John Jack Foley. And and you need those pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to finish your work. Well, we do, really. You know, there's only two of us really involved in this. We got loads of help along the way. And hopefully with your show now and the listenership you have, you may turn up somebody down in Kinsale that could help us. Complete the circle, so to speak. Well, let us. You do, I'll send you. I'll send you on a, a copy of uh, what we're going to call a man to remember, a booklet about John Foley. It's a fantastic undertaking on your behalf and your buddy. What's your buddy's name? Peter Landers. Peter Landers and your good self, Kevin. Let Let's see if any if it rings any bells. You never know. Let's um. Let's I see who comes back it. on it, and I'll be back to you. All right. Well, listen, it's very good here, and we're only hoping for the best, and thank you very much. All right, well, it's an amazing amazing story. People love to hear stories like that. Thank you, Kevin. We'll be back to you as soon as there's an update. You never know who might be listening. Uh, John Jack Foley died then in Southampton, Southampton, in 1934. Did he die um, before his wife, Minnie, or did she live a little longer than you know, or what? Okay, not not there. No, it's okay. No, it's okay. I can get that information off there. It's not a bother. We'll keep moving forward. Anybody with any information, maybe we could put those pieces to the jigsaw puzzle. Uh, get in touch. Email neil at redfm.ie. Pick up the phone and text us on 0868104106. But I love stories like that, particularly when they're lost stories and we're telling something that people may not have known that there was that kind of a connection with the Titanic survivor and indeed a hero in his own life, uh, John Jack Foley. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Printerville now. <laughs> 1851-04106. Red FM. Right. I don't know what I'm going to do. All right. Lines open one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. These are the three sounds from the garden. I, on the basis of the text, the 99.9 of you know exactly what these sounds are. All right. 
So get dialing now, 1850-104-106. Those three pieces of audio from the garden. 50 or a voucher, courtesy of ourselves. And Carewswood Garden Centre and Café Castle Martyr. And tomorrow, fifth and final opportunity to win a voucher. And also the Super Deluxe Weber Genesis Gas Grill Barbecue. It's the business. I was telling you around this morning now, they are so funky now and so modern uh, that the barbecues that you can buy now have Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and you can control them from your mobile phone. I mean, where's the fun in that like? The fun is getting stuck in, isn't it? Isn't it? Poking things and messing with it and burning it and... Not controlling the damn thing with your mobile phone, but anyway, maybe that's just me. Okay, uh, lines are stay open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Big happy birthday to an old buddy of mine who celebrates his happy or his sixtieth birthday. I think probably today, and that's the great PJ Cassidy. Aha, you're in cahoots, PJ. Celebrates his birthday today. He's an old friend of Neil's, and his sister Ruth and family got in touch to wish. Uh, PJ, a happy birthday today on behalf of all of the family and me and all that know him. He's just an all-around good guy. We get together uh, once a year, myself and PJ. Uh, we didn't last year because of all of this stuff that's going on, but hopefully this year we will catch up. So happy birthday, PJ. Have a good day today. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.